day to be in church, hey? You know, I just loved what Sal shared there because you know what it reminded me of? <laughs> can tell I've got young kids. Who's read the book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt? It's like, can't go over it, can't go under it, can only go through it. It's <laughs> a powerful message in that. <laughs> it was great. Well, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Beck, and along with my handsome husband, we head up Brad. We head up the community engagements team here at Oasis and it's a privilege to be able to serve our church in that area. But don't we have amazing pastors at our church? We have the most phenomenal pastors. It's such a blessing to be in this church. Blessing, that's such a Christian word, isn't it? <laughs> I really hate Christian jargon. But it is such a, it's such a joy to be under the leadership of Ewan and Christy. And just wanted to let you know this morning that you might notice that Pastor Christy's not here this morning. He's She's left her other half here, the amazing Pastor Ewan. But I just wanted to let you know that she is actually speaking at another church this morning. She's speaking at Freedom City Church in Hilton. And, you know, they have a bit of a later start than us. They start at 10.30. So I thought it'd be really great if we could just pray for that church, that they encounter God, that they encounter something fresh of God. And let's just pray as Pastor Christy brings a message to them this morning that God will use her in a powerful way. Should we do that? Let's do that. Why don't you join me? Father, we just thank you that you are a good and amazing God. And Lord, we just lift up Freedom City Church to you this morning, Father, that their service would be a powerful encounter with your Holy Spirit, a powerful, powerful encounter with you, Father, that every person in that building would sense something of you and be drawn closer to you this morning. We pray for Pastor Christy, Father, that you would use her in a powerful way to cause change and transformation, to cause people's eyes to look towards Jesus and find wholeness and health in you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, <laughs> Christian, <laughs> Christian jargon. Everybody say amen. <laughs> Cracks me up. All right. Well, I wanted to start off this morning by telling you two different stories of two different individuals. And uh, they're very polar opposite, but... First story I want to tell you is actually from this book, The Good and Beautiful God, which is a great read. And if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. It's actually a small group running on this too, if you're interested. But there's this story in this book that I want to share with you. And it's about this guy named Kerry. Now, Kerry is a Christian guy and the author's name is James. And Kerry gets in touch with James and says, hey, can we catch up? I really need your help with something. So James hasn't seen this guy in years, but he's like, yeah, let's catch up. Let's talk. And uh, so they meet at this coffee shop. And the first thing that James notices about Kerry is that he's wearing a bracelet that says WWJD. Who's in the old school Christians who knows what that is? It makes me laugh so much because I'm like, that is so lame. And right now I know I'm offending so many of you who used to wear those things. But what it stands for is, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, I never, ever wore anything like that. <laughs> so lame. But anyway, it was so popular around there. Forgive me if I just offended you. But anyway, so this guy's wearing this bracelet and he notices it straight away. And they get into this dialogue and Kerry's basically saying to James, I really need your help. I'm really struggling. I'm really in conflict with my relationship with God. I'm really struggling and I really need your help. I'm battling this sin 
I'm battling this obstacle and I can't overcome it. So Kerry goes on to tell James about how he travels a lot for work. So he spends a lot of time on the road, spends a lot of time in hotels away from his family and he's developed this addiction to pornography as a result of being away from home. Well, not as a result. He's developed this addiction to pornography and he's got access to it when he's away from home. And so he pours out his heart to James. He says, you know, I feel so guilty. I feel so bad. I feel so horrible because I know this is not the right thing to do, yet I can't seem to get enough willpower to overcome this addiction I have. And I thought that by wearing this bracelet, it would remind me to do the right thing. So James interrupts him kind of almost mid-sentence and says, who are you? Interesting question. And he responds, well, I'm a Christian. And James says, well, what does that mean? And this is what he says. Well, it means that I believe in Jesus and I'm trying to follow his commands, trying to follow his commands. I go to church, study the Bible and have devotional times when I can find an hour here or there. Interesting story, isn't it? I want to tell you another story this morning as well. And this is about a guy that you might know. His name is Nick, let's get it right, Wojcik. And he was actually born, he's known as the man without limbs. So some of you might know him, that he's a well-known public speaker. And he was actually born without arms, without legs. That would be life throwing a curveball at you, right? You're being born with those limitations right there. You know, his parents, when he was born, they were so upset at the sight of him that they didn't want to hold their baby. They couldn't look at him. They couldn't hold him initially because they were just so distressed, so upset at what, what, who he was. You know, he was told by doctors that there's actually no medical reason why he was born like that. They cannot explain why he was born like that. So he grew up without limbs and he was teased so badly at school that by the age of 10, he tried to commit suicide. That's crazy, hey, by the age of 10. I kind of think, how heartless are kids that they would pick on somebody with such a severe disability. But he went to school and he was just ruthlessly bullied. And so by the age of 10, he just wanted to commit suicide. But through his relationship with God through encountering God and through allowing God to work in him, he found hope, he found purpose and he found destiny in his relationship with God. He found identity in God. Now Nick speaks all over the world, inspiring people, drawing people closer to God and it's phenomenal. He's actually married and has three kids. So he's living this life where God is just using him powerfully there's something so profoundly different between those two stories. And there's something that we can learn this morning from the differences we find in those two individuals. So we're going to look at this uh, verse on the screen today because we're in the series of the Beatitudes. And today our scripture is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
You know, in this verse, Jesus is telling us that we will be blessed, we will be enriched, we will be, sorry, I just lost my notes. We'll be blessed, we'll be enriched when we desire or crave to do what is right, what is just. When we do the right thing, we will be blessed and enriched, yeah? So as a result of doing this, we will be satisfied, we'll be happy, we'll be content. That sounds good, right? So if we do A, we will get B as a result. So A equals B. But what's really interesting about this, as simple as it sounds, do this and the result will be this, is that we find this one of the most challenging things to do in life. That A is not actually as simply simple as we think it is. And you know what? One thing I really hope you grasp today is that righteousness actually has nothing to do with us and yet it has everything to do with us. So have you ever noticed how come some Christians can overcome life's adversities, can be throwing so many curveballs, go through such tough situations and in spite of what life throws at them, that they can be so passionate about their relationship with God. They can be so passionate about loving others, so passionate about doing the right thing, so full of purpose, so full of life, and so contagious to be around. Have you ever noticed that? While others get weighed down, they get bitter, and they get cynical about life. They seem to stop growing and they seem to build all these walls up that, that actually block God from speaking into their heart, actually block God from working in their hearts and their lives. Maybe you've even noticed that some Christians feel this sense of obligation to God, this sense of obligation that I have to go to church or a sense of duty to read their Bible and pray as if God is going to get angry at them if they don't do those things. Somehow that if they don't do these things that God has asked them to do, that they're letting God down. They kind of have this attitude that if I do the right thing, if I tick all those God boxes, God's going to be happy with me. Yeah? But what's so great about this passage of the Beatitudes is that that we're exploring over this season is that Jesus busts onto the scene at such a pivotal point in history and challenges the way that people perceive how the kingdom of God is, how people perceive how God works. You know, living God's way is not simply about fulfilling a set of rules and regulations. You know, his purpose, Jesus' purpose when he came and spoke that, that message on the Sermon on Mount was really to flip the way people thought, was really to flip the way they thought about God, was really to flip the way they thought about the kingdom of God, was to shatter incorrect understandings of who God is and his character. It was to show that he fulfills the, the obligations of the Old Testament, that he fulfills what we can't do and to transform the heart of people from being religious to relational. 
That's the whole purpose of the Beatitudes. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness, for they will be filled. So Jesus is shifting people's understandings from a have to, I have to, to a want to. That's what God's talking about right here. So we put that on the screen as well. Do you know when you rehearse this in your mind, you forget to mirror opposite to you guys? So I was like going to walk over here to have to, but I really need to walk over here. Because on the screen, have to is going to be over here. All right, so we have this, this tension between people who ha- have this attitude of I have to to people who have this attitude of want to. And that's what Jesus is speaking about in this beatitude. So over here in the have to section, we've got this kind of understanding of things that it's all about rules, it's all about law, it's all about obligation. You know, it's an attitude of I have to do the right thing or God might get angry at me. You know, here's an example. So I have a kid who is seven, going on 12, I feel, at times. But, you know, you you give your kids jobs, right, age-appropriate jobs. And so one of the jobs that we give to our son is he has to set the table every night, right? We're like, you know, go set the table. He knows he has to do it, but he's he's a real boundary pusher, so he leaves it right to the last minute. Be like, Caleb, you need to go set the table. Oh, do I have to? Do I have to? You know, he's operating out of this sense of, do I have to? Who at work when their boss asks them, oh, do I have to do that? Do I really have to? You know, and the reason that we have that kind of have to attitude is because we know there's an obligation there. There's a consequence if we don't do what's right. And, you know, ultimately our son sets the table every night because he has learned that there's a consequence. I won't serve him dinner if he does not set the table. (laughs) We will eat dinner without him and he can go hungry. (laughs) Tough love. (laughs) You know, you could be like Mother Teresa. We all know who Mother Teresa is, isn't she? Amazing individual. And I had the privilege of actually visiting her place in Calcutta. And it's phenomenal. Amazing lady. Done amazing things. But, you know, we could be as righteous as her. We could be as good as her. We could be as just as her. But if our attitude is a have to, what difference does it make? God's not asking you to have to do anything. You know, that God's interested in your heart and your attitude over your actions all the time. So over here we have people who have this false narrative, this false understanding of have to. Have to do the right thing. And that's no fun. So, you know, doing the right thing is no fun. I'm in that category. I've, I've discovered as I get older that, you know, if something's not fun, I don't really want to do it. I'm like, and you and Christy keep getting us to do all these personality profiles. <laughs> and I'm kind of like justifying, yeah, see, my personality doesn't like that. It's not fun. I'm not doing that. That's not, that's not actually right. <laughs> but, you know, like there's, uh, sometimes we think as Christians, oh, it's boring to be a Christian. You know, we have to do all these things. We have to do this right. And so we, some people have this kind of thing. Well, if I just, I just go right up to the boundary, just go right up to the line, you know, like, how bad is it if I'm speaking about that person really badly, you know, they're not here, they can't hear. Or, you know, if I go out and get smashed with my mates, you know, uh, just kind of teetering is this kind of attitude of, I'm only got, I only want to do the right thing because I feel I have to, not because I intrinsically want to, yeah? But if we step over the line, you know, 
it's that attitude. It comes back to the heart. You know, you might be teetering on the edge, but what's your heart saying? So the religious people of the time had this perverted view of God's, God's teachings and they were pushing that on people as well. You know, it was all about if you tick this God box, if you tick this God box, if you tick this God box, you're holy, you're right. And that's what the Pharisees, the religious people were like. You're just like, I follow all these rules, I do all these things, so I'm holy. This is in the have to. But their motives and their attitudes are terrible. And, you know, as a result of that, if you kind of have this have-to attitude and you tick those boxes, do you know what the end result of that is? You actually perpetuate this attitude of self-righteousness. It's like, oh, I did this, I'm really good. Or you do the opposite where you just feel guilty when you fall short, when you can't quite meet the mark. So you either get this self-righteousness, you feel good because you've done the right thing, or you feel guilty because you haven't done the right thing. If we move over to this side, we get the want to. This is my favourite side. Don't always land in this side, but, you know, over this side we have the want to do what Jesus is talking about. We have this intrinsic desire within us to do what's good. It kind of flows out of who we are. You know, we want to do what's just and right. When we see something, we want to action it. We want to help that person. We want to do what's good and right. There's a sense of freedom on this side. There's a sense of lightness. You know, it's not conjured up. It's not forced. It just comes easily out of a relationship with Jesus. It comes out of the transformation that comes as you walk with Jesus. It's this intrinsic desire to do what's right. So here we have the elimination of the rules and the obligations that we have in the have-to side. You know, that doing what is right just comes so naturally as we become more like him. Because as you walk with him, you become more like him, yeah? All right, so suddenly on that can-to side, want-to side, all those behaviours that were so once appealing to you, like going out and getting smashed with your friends or speaking about people badly, suddenly they're just distasteful to you. You're like, oh, why would I do that? Why would I speak badly about that person when look, look what God's created them to do. Look who they are. Look at their potential. Look how much God loves them. You know, we start to see things in a different light, not because we have to, but because we're seeing it from God's perspective, yeah? So, over here in the want-to side, we see people who are transformed by God's love. We see people who are, have encountered Jesus, have understood his love, and have transformed, and out of their relationship with God, and out of their continued relationship with God, and they're continually walking with him, just spills out God's character naturally. So I want to show you a verse in a sec. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you've got your Bibles look it up. Nobody brings their Bibles to church anymore, do they? It's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. So in this want-to section, it's not about rules. It's not about obligation. It's about this transformed life. So you don't want to do those things anymore. You don't want to do, you don't want to be in the have-to because you've encountered God. God has transformed you. He's creating you into a new person, Yeah. 
So in my early days as a Christian, I, I, I had this perpetual cycle of want, feeling like I had to read my Bible, I had to pray, you know, had to do all these things and spend X amount of time. And I actually get caught up in this guilt cycle. You know, I'd be like really passionate for God and then I'd be like just get caught up in life circumstances and then I'd be like, oh, I didn't read my Bible this week, I didn't pray. And I'd feel this cycle of guilt. I'd just be feeling guilty. Oh, I've got to do that. And then I would do it out of this attitude of, okay, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to pray and stuff. And some people wired like, wired like that. Like I remember Joel spoke uh, last year about how he got up at five o'clock in the morning and he was really like, you know, I have to do it like this way because that's the way his personality works. But for me, I was listening to that message and I was like, go Joel, but that sounds torture to me. I'm like, I would hate that. If I had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray, it's like, God, just, no, take me to heaven right now. Um, so, like, I have a, a different way of relating to God. And I think that's awesome that you do it like that. And I could totally see your personality works like that. You know, but, you know, the difference is Joel doesn't have a religious attitude that he has to, he has to, has to, has to get up. And God's going to be angry at him if he didn't get up and pray and read his Bible at that time. Because it's not about that. It's about this desire to spend time with God. So if you're kind of caught up in that loop, you know, my encouragement to you this morning is that you seek God and find freedom from that. You know, don't get caught up in this cycle. Because, you know, there's there's no joy that comes out of that. God hasn't called you to a life of just mundanity. You know, it's supposed to be life-giving transformation relationship with God, not just this obligation of, I've got to do this this week. I've got to, every morning I've got to do this, this and this. But you know, the difference for me was, you know, on my journey with God, I got to this point where I really grasped the revelation of God, the revelation and the understanding of what Jesus did on the cross that broke me free from all those rules, all those obligations and all those have to's that gave me the freedom to want to. You know, and I'll be honest, I don't read my Bible every day. I know, shocking, right? I do pray, I do talk to God. I have a very... I won't go there. <laughs> um, but the way my, it works for me, definitely I read my Bible. I'm passionate about reading my Bible. You know, doing this message, the great revelations that you can find as you scratch the surface of the word and you dig into it God can really speak to you from that but I don't have this kind of religious mindset that every day I have to tick that box I've done my devotions you know there's a vast difference in the shift in your attitude from have to do my devotions today God's gonna be angry to oh man I can't wait to spend some time with God and catch up with God and what's God got to say to me today that's a shift from the want to to the have to, yeah? So Jesus doesn't come to get rid of the Old Testament law. Sometimes I think we think that, that Jesus has come and so that's all irrelevant. It's actually not all irrelevant. Jesus comes and he fulfills all the requirements of the Old Testament so that we don't have to be obligated to all those things. You know, he takes all those rules and all those regulations that are impossible for us to live up to and he takes it on and his death frees us from that. Isn't that great? You know, the law's purpose is to highlight how we can't do it on our own. 
You know, we can't fulfill all those things on our own. And Jesus comes and he fulfills that. So we have the freedom to want to, to be in the want to camp of relating to him. So good, isn't it? And, you know, on the back of Easter, how good is that? That we Just in this time of understanding of the, the power and the significance of what Jesus did in that moment when he sacrificed his life for us. So Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to be righteous in God, yeah? He makes it possible. You know, I said, has nothing to do with us and everything to do with us. Jesus makes it so it's nothing to do with us, but then there's a responsibility that comes on us so that we can allow God to work in our hearts and our lives and to cause that righteousness to flow out of us, yeah? So we get this have to and then the cross in the middle, which changes us to want to. So... The way we get from have to to want to is not to stop trying to do bad things. That's not the aim. The aim is not to stop trying to do bad things, but rather let God transform you from the inside out. You know, it's an attitude and it's a mind shift change, understanding that change needs to take place. And you know that story I told you earlier where the guy's wearing that bracelet? You can't try willpower is only going to get you so far you know it's not about trying to stop doing the wrong thing that's not what Jesus is talking about he's not saying try not to do the wrong thing and try to do the good thing but the key is allowing God to transform you from the inside out allowing him to work in you you know Romans 7 4 says so my dear brothers and sisters This is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest. We can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. As a result of Jesus fulfilling our requirements of have to. You know, it's been, oh gosh, Easter, love Easter. But, you know, the downside of Easter, I get really excited because of Easter eggs um, and Jesus, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I, sometimes I'm like, oh, adulting is not fun because you don't get Easter eggs, right? Like when you become an adult and a parent, everybody gives your kids Easter eggs. So I had a bit of a whinge to my mum. It's like, no, no, it was a bit manipulative. Um, it's like, nobody gives me Easter eggs. You know, Brad never buys me Easter eggs. <laughs> I oh, know, oh, he's up the back, smiling. Um, you know, you don't get Easter eggs, so I sort of said to my mum, oh, I don't get Easter eggs. So she bought me a dark lint bunny, which was great. She also bought Brad a dark lint bunny. And then my kids got all these Easter eggs, and you know, like, m- my two-year-old really shouldn't be eating that much chocolate, so kind of... <laughs> <sighs> so I've had this week of just, like, walking the kitchen, and I'm just like, all these shiny Easter eggs are looking at me. And I'm like, I have the willpower, I have the willpower. And I don't have the willpower because I ate so many Easter eggs, my jeans are so tight, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it was an awful week. But, you know, I tried. Every time I walked in that kitchen, I have this mental battle going on, like, no, you don't need an Easter egg. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning, you do not need an Easter egg. And, like, I'm studying as well, and I'm a bit of a stress eater when I study, you know. So um, I'm like, oh, I did well. <laughs> Chocolate. (laughs) 
So anyway, I ate way too many Easter eggs. But, you know, I, I tried with all my strength to resist it. And I got to the point where I'm like, we should just eat it all because then it will be gone. It will be over. Let this be gone. hate it. I have a, such a weakness for chocolate. Please don't give me chocolate, even if I ask for it. It's not good. But God's so good. God is so gracious. You know, he knows how weak we are. He knows how limited our willpower is. And he knows that we often fall into the struggle of doing the wrong thing. And he, in his wisdom, has provided a solution for that. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? He knows what we're like. He knows that our willpower will not cut the mustard that it's not going to stop us from doing the wrong thing and doing the right thing. It's not going to create in us a desire to do the right thing. You know, and I said that story at the start. It's a great example of that. That guy could not stop his addiction based on his willpower. And if you read the story, you'll hear how he changed his ways. So I'd encourage you to read that. Um, But we're on this journey of being transformed into God, right? into his likeness, into his character. But it's a process that we face and, you know, we battle it even all the time. And the Apostle Paul, the, the man who wrote so many of the scriptures that encourage us and grow us today, he understood this battle and he talked about it because it was something that even he, in his greatness, you know, he encountered God in such a powerful way. He walked with God. He did amazing things for God. And yet even he found it a struggle to always do the right thing. You know, he talks about in Romans 7 and 8 how he struggles to do right, even though he wants to. He wants to do what's right, but he struggles to do what's right. And that, that, that the struggle is within us, this sinful nature within us causes this battle that happens. He talks about how Jesus is the answer to this. He talks about to overcome this is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and empower you. That the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that lives within us. So the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that God gives us to empower us to be righteous. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that causes the transformation within us that we get to be from a have to to a want to. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us develop God's characteristics. You know, so God is so gracious He's fulfilled our obligations to have to and he's given us the power, the Holy Spirit, to transform us so that we want to. But you know what? There's always a cost, right? It's not always easy, is it? So allowing the Holy Spirit access to your heart, to your life, to the broken parts within you can sometimes be painful, yeah? You know, I talked about earlier that Some Christians build up walls because it's too painful to let God in and bring healing to those places. You know, I'm always really saddened when I come across older Christians or people who have walked with God for some time and they're just really bitter and they're just really 
uh, cynical and resentful. It like really grieves me, actually. I have conversation and uh, I just walk away feeling really gross, just really like, oh, that's so sad. Um, like if you are on a journey with God, yes, we go through ups and downs. Yes, we have hard times. But if God is not transforming you as you walk with him, that's just kind of a sign that you've put up a wall in your heart, that you've blocked him because his word says that he will transform you. So when I encounter people like that, I feel I'm like, oh, you don't know what God can do in your heart. You don't know that you can have freedom from this. You don't understand what God can do in that situation. And so it upsets me. But as we become whole and healed, as we are transformed into his likeness, that's our purpose, isn't it? So we're transformed into his likeness. Then we become a reflection of who he is to people around us. And if you actually read the, the whole of that text in the Beatitudes and after, that, that's the whole purpose. It's not that you're just transformed, but that you're salt and you're light to those around you, that you reflect his goodness, you know. You know, most of us get dealt hard deals in life, yeah? I reckon every person in this room could put up their hand and say, yeah, I've been dealt a hard deal in life. I've been through some difficult situations. You know, that are just unfair and unjust. But if we allow God to bring wholeness to those situations in our life, if we allow him to transform us and not block him, can you imagine God's goodness that is expressed through you to others can you imagine how God's character shines through you to others you know that story I shared of Nick the man without limbs amazing example of that I mean you can't get a harder deal than that can you I mean born with no limbs you know the guy's married with three kids and he speaks of God's goodness and God's grace all over the world phenomenal example you know, God can only transform you as much as you allow him to. As much as you allow him into your heart, he can transform you. But, you know, that comes at a cost, but it also comes with great joy. You know, when you allow that process to happen, you feel that sense of fruitfulness. You feel that sense of satisfaction, that wholeness, that depth of greater intimacy with him. You know, that health, that freedom. And ultimately, our main purpose is that through that, we radiate God's goodness to those around us, yeah? You intrinsically become righteous as a result of that process. You don't have to force it. You don't have to push it. It's just intrinsically, naturally flows out of you, yeah? So to sum all this up, what Jesus is really saying in the Beatitudes and in this verse, he's asking you to be righteous. He's definitely asking you to be righteous. But what he's really saying to you is that he has fulfilled the have to requirements so you get to. So he's fulfilled the have to so you get to. He's saying, come follow me. Come and follow me. I will transform your heart. I will transform your life. I will transform your mind if only you will allow me to. He's saying, I won't leave you. You don't have to do it alone. I've given you the Holy Spirit. 
I've given you someone who will walk with you, help you, empower you. And he's saying, you know what? You do this and you're going to have great satisfaction. You're going to have great joy. You're going to have great wholeness, great health as you walk with me. He's saying that you get the opportunity. You get the opportunity to get to. You get to reflect my goodness. You get to reflect my kindness. You get to reflect who I am to those around you. How great would it be if we all really grasped hold of that? If we left the want to, if we left all the self-righteous, if we left all the, the guilt that comes here and we went to the get to and out of us flows this transformation that we become more like Jesus, that we reflect his righteousness. We, we help those around us because it just flows out of this love that we have for Jesus, this transformation we have. It's not hard, it's not contrived, it's just easy. Doesn't that sound good? Why don't we pray this morning? Why don't you join?